The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. Powell to the rescue as comments from the Fed chair helped turn the tide on Wall Street after a more than 350-point slide at one point. But will today's sequel be as good as the original? It's one fund manager versus the world. What Kathy Wood is doing about her Tesla investment as the stock turns negative on the year. An emergency order from the FAA over those Pratt & Whitney engines that led to incredible engine fire aboard that Boeing 777 jet. And more fallout in Texas. After the state's week-long energy crisis this morning, a mass exodus of the executives once in charge of the Lone Star's energy grid and a key C-suite exit for one of GameStop's key executives weeks after the Reddit-fueled frenzy. It's Wednesday, February 24th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Top of the morning to you. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. And here's how stock futures are looking to kick off your Wednesday morning. Right now, we are seeing shades of green pretty much across the board. The S&P implied higher by roughly eight points. The Dow Jones by 45. The Nasdaq up by about 36 points implied at the opening bell. Now, this is, yes, modest, but well off the lows of the session. The Nasdaq futures at one point were roughly 150 to 170 points lower than where they are right now. So keep an eye on those futures as we head towards the opening bell. The Dow, by the way, coming off a wild session yesterday, falling more than 360 points in early trading before wiping out all of those losses and ending the day, believe it or not, with a gain. A similar story for the Nasdaq, seeing a nearly 4% loss before ending the day, only just slightly lower, the composite down one half of 1%, but you can see there well off the lows of the session throughout the course of yesterday's trading. Investors can thank, who else? Fed Chairman Jay Powell for that turnaround. Yesterday telling lawmakers inflation remains soft and the bank is committed to its current accommodative policy. We'll see if he echoes those comments again today. Powell's statement also easing pressure in the bond market as well. Currently, the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note benchmark, 1.36% still, though. That near-term trend higher for markets here in terms of Treasury yields is something to keep an eye on for sure as we watch these trades play out. Also continuing to watch the action in shares of Tesla, now negative on the year despite bouncing back from a 13% loss at one point in trading yesterday. One investor and longtime Tesla bull, Kathy Wood, scooping up some $120 million worth of the stock during yesterday's sell-off and subsequent bounce back. And it's not just Tesla. Wood also out with comments on Bitcoin, saying she's positive on the crypto and very happy to see a healthy correction in it. Bitcoin, by the way, now back above the 50,000 mark, 50,921, the last trade there, an 8% rise. Remember, over the last six months, a 330% gain on Coin Metrics, that platform there, one to watch as well. 
Let's now go worldwide. The Asian trade generally negative. We see outsized losses in both the Shanghai Composite and the Hang Seng on the Chinese side of things. The Nikkei in Japan off by about one and a half percent as well. As you can see, they're predominantly red. India, the real standout there in terms of an upside move in the markets. On the European side of things, as we swing that globe around, you can see a bit of more of a mixed trade there. The German DAX up about three quarters of one percent. The CAC in France up about one quarter of one percent. Meanwhile, some underperformance, a relatively flat market for the FTSE 100 in the U.S. Back on our home shores, a new order from federal regulators over those faulty Pratt & Whitney jet engines. Bertha Coombs is here with that and more. Good morning, Bertha. Good morning, Dom. The FAA says it is ordering immediate inspections of all Boeing 777 jets equipped with Pratt & Whitney's PW4000 engines before any further flights. This after that spectacular engine failure caught on video on a United flight over the weekend. Airlines around the world that operate planes with that engine type have already grounded affected jets. United is the only U.S. carrier that has them. They've voluntarily taken its 24 uh, Boeing 777 airplanes with those Pratt & Whitney engines out of service. Meantime, uh, we'll learn more this morning. FAA Administrator Stephen Dixon will join CNBC Live at 7.20 Eastern this morning on Squawk Box. Four board leaders of Texas's embattled power grid operators say they will resign following the outrage stemming from that massive power outage last week. All of the board of directors stepping down, including Chairwoman Sally Talberg, actually live outside of Texas, which has only intensified criticism of the board, ironically named Electric Reliability Council of Texas. The resignations are effective today, a day before Texas lawmakers are set to begin hearings over the outages in the state capitol. And the House of Representatives will vote on Friday on legislation to provide $1.9 trillion in new coronavirus relief. This after the House Budget Committee approved the measure on Monday. The sweeping legislation is intended to stimulate the economy and carry out President Biden's proposals to provide additional money for COVID-19 vaccines and other medical equipment. Dom, back over to you. All right, Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for those headlines. We appreciate it. Sticking with the D.C. scene and that massive rescue package, while it may survive a House vote this week, it may be a different story in the Senate. NBC's Tracy Potts is here with more on that and your D.C. day ahead. Good morning, Tracy. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. In the Senate, Republicans are already complaining that the package is too expensive and Democrats may try to go it alone and get this done before unemployment benefits run out on March 14th. But today, the president has a different focus, uh, taking action on manufacturing and trying to prevent supply chain problems. A demand for cell phones and computers during the pandemic has led to manufacturing shortages. President Biden meets with lawmakers on that today. He's set to issue an executive order reviewing the U.S. supply chain after telling essential workers. You all are... uh... Um, you're you're basically holding the country together. Also today, an update from the COVID response team. Vaccine shipments are up 70% since inauguration. 20 million Americans are now fully vaccinated. But with demand outpacing supply, there's concern about what happens for those who cannot get the second shot 
on time. We don't know what happens if you only have one dose and you wait five or six weeks. We just don't simply have those data. A third vaccine could be available within days. On Capitol Hill, lawmakers are planning an initial COVID relief vote on Friday. We are on track uh, to get this bill done. They're going to try to muscle this through on a totally uh, partisan basis. More riot hearings are happening today, focusing on employee wellness, building damage, and domestic extremists. Officials admitted Tuesday they declined help two days before the attack. We all agreed that the intelligence did not support the the uh, troops and collectively decided to let it go. Law enforcement officials say an intelligence warning the day before never made it to their desks. Now, next week, we expect to hear from the FBI, the Pentagon, and Homeland Security. Tom? All right, NBC's Tracy Potts with the latest in D.C. Thank you very much for that. When we come back on the show, Jay Powell is back in the hot seat. But does he have what it takes to juice the markets yet again? We will ask UBS's Paul Donovan about the Fed share. Plus, calling for an investigation into the natural gas industry following last week's massive power outages and price spikes in Texas. A worldwide exchange exclusive with Minnesota Senator Tina Smith and later the payment company snapping up millions of dollars in Bitcoin. Yeah, we're going to tell you. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. The main thing that we can do is continue to support um, the economy, give it the support that it needs. We're still 10 million uh, jobs below the level of payroll jobs before the crisis. There's still a long way to go to full recovery, and we intend to keep our, our, our policy supportive of, uh, uh, of that recovery. All right, that was Fed Chair Jay Powell testifying before the Senate Banking Committee yesterday, telling lawmakers the central bank does not expect to shift its policy stance until a lasting recovery is achieved. Powell also emphasizing he does not expect a large or persistent increase in inflation, even as trillions of dollars of stimulus move through the U.S. economy and the global economy as well. Let's talk more about this and other global economic issues with Paul Donovan, chief economist at UBS Global Wealth Management. Paul, was there anything from the comments yesterday that really struck out at you? To me, it seems like Jay Powell has been echoing the same message for quite some time now, months, about the lack of inflation and the Fed's 
intention to stay very active in markets until the economy is back on solid footing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a consistent message, which at this stage is is really what the Fed has got to be giving, I think. So um, the inflation point, I think, uh, resonated a little bit more in the markets. We've had more concern about inflation coming through. Um, I, I think it's unwarranted. I, I don't think beyond a, an oil price base effect in the second quarter, we've got anything to worry about with inflation, with the amount of spare capacity that exists. But nevertheless, there has been a, a vocal debate. And so I suppose the, the Fed chair's comments in that regard regard, you know, hit home a little harder. But otherwise, it's, you know, it's business as usual, basically. Paul, there are parts of the market right now that we've been highlighting for, for the course of several weeks here that show that the markets, at least, are indicating a pickup in inflation or at least inflation expectations. Is there a disconnect here? Is that something technical that's happening with the financial markets? Or are we really seeing some signs here outside of energy that inflation and prices are picking up? We are getting uh, some signs of specific prices picking up, but that's not necessarily inflation. Prices go up and down all of the time. Um, if you look at uh, you know, the median inflation rate, the mean inflation rate, in other words, what, what are most prices doing? Most prices are doing exactly what they've always been doing, which is growing about two to two and a quarter percent. Um, so most prices are not really being shifted. But because we have got some supply chain disruption with these long, complicated global supply chains, that is causing some manufactured goods prices to spike up as, as demand picks up a bit. But that's not going to last. And it's not symptomatic of a general inflation issue in the economy. Paul, as you take a look at the, the world economy kind of around you and your coverage universe, what is it that the U.S. is doing differently, better or worse than, say, Europe or other parts of developed Asia with regard to its policy and the economies that they can kind of move with? I, I'm just curious how central bank policy is affecting different regions differently based upon their own policies. I think the first point is this is not a, a crisis that central banks are going to be taking a lead on. I mean, essentially what happened in 2020 is governments took your money. That's what happened. And it's down to governments to give it back. This is something which requires fiscal policy far more than central bank policy. Um, I think that there are obviously some differences. So one of the things is that the US had to sort of build a European style welfare state from scratch, whereas Europe already had it. So you've had slightly different policy timings. Uh, and in terms of the recovery, what we're seeing, I think, in the United States, rightly or wrongly, is a lower level of fear around the virus compared to what we're seeing in Europe and the UK. And that's fear from consumers and fear from policymakers. So in the United States, we are seeing a relaxation of restrictions relative to what we have in Europe. People are more willing to travel, say, in the United States. You know, I've, I've barely traveled outside my house in, in the last 12 months. Uh, so you've got very different reactions coming through. And that's actually the main driver of the differences in economic activity that we're seeing at the moment. All right. The virus certainly front and center for many policymakers out there. UBS's Paul Donovan. Thank you very much. Always great to get your thoughts, sir. Thank you. Still on deck for the show, we speak with one voting member of the FDA's Vaccine Advisory Committee judging the readiness of Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 single-dose shot. That's coming up. And a programming note, tonight, 8 Eastern Time, Carl Quintanilla hosts a CNBC special report, The Path Forward, focusing on small business. Don't miss it, 8 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. Uh, Carl is going to do a fantastic job highlighting some of those issues for small businesses in America. Keep it right here. Worldwide Exchange comes back after this.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Today's big number, $50 billion. That's the total economic impact from the severe winter storms that hit Texas this month, according to estimates from AccuWeather. All right, that's a really big number here. We have new calls from lawmakers and governors for investigations into energy companies. This comes after massive price spikes amid last week's wild winter weather in the Midwest. And it left consumers, of course, footing the bill, often $1,000 in terms of bills for utilities. Some nat gas trades that would normally go for about $3 are trading for up to $900 during the crisis. One such official is Democratic Senator Tina Smith of Minnesota, who is calling for a federal probe into possible price gouging. She sat down with her own Brian Sullivan just yesterday. Well, so you have this disaster in Texas, a complete failure, I would say, of the system in Texas to weatherize itself, to be prepared for any kind of extreme weather event. And then it's a ripple effect that happens as they uh, as they lose uh, natural gas wells and then as they rechannel natural gas um, only into Texas. And then that starts to ripple throughout uh, the rest of the country. It gets to Minnesota and you have uh, the bigger utilities who are seeing massive price increases that they're paying for natural gas. And then you have the local munis that I'm in some ways most worried about who are uh, finding that they're burning through literally almost a year's worth of budget in just a, a, a few weeks because of these mm-hmm. rasp- rapidly escalating prices. Well, so then what happens is that that gets passed on potentially to consumers. And meanwhile, some you know natural gas baron in Texas is making millions and millions and millions of dollars right out of the pockets of people in Minnesota and around the Midwest. So I want to get to the bottom of that. We need to protect people. And especially right now, we have tens of thousands of people in Minnesota that are in arrears on their energy bills because of COVID, because they've lost their jobs mm-hmm. and they can't pay. And this could be um, even more devastating for them if these costs um, hit their utility bill. And as I understand it, Senator, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because the electricity market is, is and regulated utilities are it's kind of an odd world. It's 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 its own beast. And Texas literally is its own beast, almost completely cut off from federal regulation, given that it's it's its own grid. If, if a customer is on a fixed rate plan, the municipal, the utility company will have to eat it, the cost, if they indeed paid some of these spot market prices because they, they really can't pass it on. But for people that are in these you pay what we pay type plans that have become very, very popular, they're showing off their bills. Some of them on, and I don't mean showing off in a good way on social media, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars where it's normally 200. So there could be small, you know, utilities that, could be at risk, are there not? That's exactly that's exactly right. You have small utilities that don't have billions of dollars of uh, reserves to be able to handle this kind of price shock, 
and yet they have to somehow manage it. And I'm thinking about little utilities in communities in southern Minnesota that uh, are um, either owned by the local uh, the local town or they might be a cooperative kind of utility that are still on the hook to provide energy. And of course, we want them to. We just have risen. Our temperatures just rose above zero for the first time in mm. 10 in Minnesota. So this is not a laughing matter. It is um, very urgent for people. And as I said, at, with COVID, people have already been struggling in many places to pay their utility bills. So it becomes just a double whammy. And do, Texas, you know, famously deregulated and Texas is, has been, Texas, somebody asked me, why do they do it? I said, because Texas is going to Texas. That's kind of what they do and kind of what they're famous for. As a senator, do you want to push to try to force Texas onto or connecting to the national power grid. It has some small connections to Oklahoma, New Mexico and, and the country of Mexico. But would you like to see a, an official push to get them entered into the other power markets and interchanges that exist? Well, look, I think that what's happened in Texas and as we see its impact around the country is a great example of how no state is an island when it comes to electricity. If Texas's um, deregulated, unregulated electricity environment fails, you know, they're going to, you know, there's, there still has to be a way for the lights to go on in Texas. We truly are all connected when it comes to the electric grid. And I think what it does tell me is how important it is as we think about building towards a more resilient, more reliable uh, less carbon intensive electricity system that we can do that in ways that would prevent the kind of catastrophe that we've seen in Texas from happening again. You know, you have to plan for these extreme weather events. And that's part of the problem that happened in Texas, right? 10 years ago, they had a weather catastrophe similar to this. Uh, They were told that they needed to weatherize their um, electric grid system in order to protect against a situation like this, and they didn't do it. And so now then they try to blame it on frozen windmills when, frankly, in Minnesota, the wind energy has been working just fine, thank you very much, because we have it weatherized. All right, that was Senator Tina Smith of Minnesota. Our thanks to her for her thoughts on the energy crisis in Texas right now. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Francis Rivera is in the New York newsroom with the latest there. Good morning, Francis. Hey, Dom. Good morning to you. Yeah, we start this morning with a new update on Tiger Woods, who suffered serious injuries after his vehicle went tumbling off a California road. According to a statement, the golf legend is being treated for serious injuries to his legs and right ankle. But he is alert and recovering after emergency surgery. The cause of the crash is still under investigation. Police reported that there were no signs of impairment. The sheriff says accidents in the area are not uncommon because of the downhill slopes and curves on that road. A major cleanup effort is underway in central Texas this morning after a fiery crash about an hour northeast of Austin. A semi-truck barreled into the side of a fuel train, sparking that massive explosion. The blast derailed 13 train cars. Several were loaded with gasoline, which fed the flames. Amazingly, despite this video, nobody was hurt. With New York Governor Andrew Cuomo allowing fans back in the stands at arenas, the Knicks and Nets hosted their first crowds of the season, if you can call them crowds. Madison Square Garden was close to the maximum 10% capacity for the Knicks Warriors game. Unfortunately for Knicks fans, the Warriors came out with a victory there. In Brooklyn, the Nets chose to admit just over 300 fans in their game against the Kings. James Harden put a show for the crowd there with a triple-double in that win. So we're seeing it very slowly in New York City and hopefully other cities as well across the country, Dom, slowly getting there. 
Small steps, of course, there, mm-hmm. Francis, but reasons for optimism for sure. Thank you very much for that update there, Francis sure Rivera in New York. Still ahead on the show, the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos saga takes a new turn as she denies destroying evidence in the case and points a finger at the government. And you have, and you have, if you have not already, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Whatever ones you choose, Worldwide Exchange on podcast audio format. We'll be right back. Fed Chair Jay Powell tries to tamp down the mounting inflation worries, spooking markets. Buying the dip, ARK Invest Kathy Wood adding on to her firm stake in Tesla and boosting Bitcoin along the way. And another high-profile exit from Amazon. Keep an eye on that. It's Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. You can see here the Dow Jones Industrial Average implied higher by roughly 32 points. The S&P implied higher by six points and the Nasdaq higher by 30 points. It doesn't seem like a lot, but we were well off the lows of the session so far. At one point, the Nasdaq was roughly about 150 to 180 points lower than where we are right now. So keep an eye on that. Now, investors are waiting on fresh comments from Fed Chair Jay Powell after the chairman yesterday did much to smooth inflation fears. My expectation will be that inflation will probably be a bit volatile over the next year or so due in a significant account amount to particular things to do with the pandemic. I don't think that those uh, effects should either be large or persistent. And the real reason for that is that we've had decades of uh, well-anchored inflation expectations. All right, watching the yield on the 10-year benchmark U.S. Treasury note, you can see there we are ticking slightly higher in just the last couple of hours or so. However, off the highs that we've seen, by the way, the highs for the 10-year Treasury note going all the way back multiple years at this point, almost back to a year uh, at this stage. To the action in shares of Tesla now on the stock side of things, now negative on the year despite bouncing back from a 13% loss yesterday. Wall Street attributing the rebound to one investor and longtime Tesla bull, Kathy Wood, who scooped up $120 million worth of stock in yesterday's sell-off. And it's not just Tesla. Kathy Wood also out with comments on Bitcoin, saying she's positive on the cryptocurrency and very happy to see a healthy correction. Bitcoin, by the way, now back above that 50,000 per token mark, up about 7.5% so far, 50,621 in change, the last trade on the CoinMetrics platform. Now let's take a look at a couple of charts that are playing out so far this year. First of all, we mentioned interest rates. Take a look at the difference between two-year Treasury note yields and 10-year Treasury note yields, something referred to as the yield curve, the steepness of it, how big the difference is. You can see here we're at the highest levels going all the way back to the early part of 2017. So that move higher, pricing in possibly this idea that reflation is happening, a reopening of economies, not just here in the U.S. around the world but also this idea that perhaps you can see inflation expectations start to pick up as well. All that is playing out in the difference in Treasury yields. Also, that reflation trade or this idea that things are going to get better, this idea that perhaps cyclical, economically sensitive sectors and stocks will do well. Check out what's happening with energy, one of the smallest sectors in the S&P 500, but yes, very economically sensitive. The energy sector spider, ticker XLE, is up 29%. 
That's just so far year to date. Meanwhile, the biggest sector in the S&P, technology, the one with the most weight, up only 2% right here. This is that gap widening out. Remember, energy, a real underperformer last year. Technology really helping to pace the market over the course of the last several years. Maybe that rotation still playing out as well. Watch that trade, value versus growth, energy versus technology. Many of those themes continue in the coming weeks here. To the latest now in the ongoing Theranos case, as former CEO Elizabeth Holmes fires back at the federal government over evidence. Bertha Coombs has more on that in this morning's other top headlines. Good morning, Bertha. Yep, um, there's always drama in this case. Attorneys for Holmes are blaming the government for failing to preserve what they call critical evidence. In a filing late yesterday, her lawyers said prosecutors are at fault for losing a database called the Laboratory Information System, which they say helped three years worth of accuracy and failure rates of Theranos tests. But prosecutors claim that Theranos executives destroyed the system that proved the company's blood testing product was actually inaccurate. Meantime, shares of GameStop are lower this morning after the company announced that CFO Jim Bell is leaving. GameStop says Bell will step down March 26th, and it has started searching for a replacement with, quote, the capabilities and qualifications to help accelerate GameStop's transformation. And another key member of Jeff Bezos' inner circle leaving Amazon, Senior Vice President of Business Development Jeff Blackburn announcing that he's exiting the company following a year-long sabbatical. Blackburn is the second high-level executive to leave Amazon this year, following consumer business head Jeff Wilkie's retirement last month. It also comes just weeks after Bezos himself announced he would step down as CEO and become executive chairman. And Dom, it appears he's doing what billionaires do. Reports say he's looking to maybe buy the Washington football team because what else do you do when you're a retired billionaire but run a sports franchise? And jockeying for position as the world's richest man, of course. Thank you very much, Bertha Coombs, for the update there <laughs> on Jeff Bezos and all those other headlines as well. Well, FDA advisors will meet Friday to consider whether to recommend Johnson & Johnson's single-dose COVID-19 vaccine for emergency use authorization, or EUA. Johnson & Johnson says it plans to begin shipping the vaccine immediately upon receiving the authorization and that it should be able to vaccinate more than 20 million Americans in a single dose by the end of March. Joining us now is Dr. Ofer Levy, head of the Precision Vaccines Program at Boston Children's Hospital and also a voting member of the advisory committee that's evaluating the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. He was also on the panel that gave the green light to the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Dr. Levy, thank you very much for joining us here. Take us through your thought process right now. How is it that this particular Johnson & Johnson vaccine will change the landscape for vaccinations in America and the world? Good morning, Dom, and thank you for that. Uh, this is, you know, we don't want to prejudge the process. On Friday, we're going to have a rigorous process uh, of the FDA Vaccine Advisory Committee that I serve on. Uh, we are going to be uh, discussing and, and contemplating safety and efficacy uh, of, of this uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine product. Um, uh, I will say, but, uh, without prejudging the, the outcome of Friday's deliberations, um, should it move forward, uh, it could potentially be a very significant uh, further tool in our armamentarium uh, against this dreaded pandemic. Uh, we need more vaccines. 
Uh, we need them because there are vaccine shortages. This particular vaccine uh, uh, from Johnson & Johnson uh, it, it does not require freezing. Uh, uh, it can be held at regular four degrees Celsius refrigeration. That's huge in terms of practicality. And uh, it is a single dose regimen. Uh, so those 20 million doses uh, you alluded to by the end of March would potentially uh, be immunizing 20 million additional Americans. So uh, the potential for benefit is very large. But again, we have to let the process play out and contemplate the safety, efficacy. There'll be a full public deliberation uh, on Friday. We have an excellent process and the briefing documents will be made public for all Americans to see. Sure, sure. Dr. Levy, I, you're a medical doctor, a medical professional. You have a science background for, for a lay person like myself or our viewers and listeners out there. What exactly will you be looking at? What, what are the considerations that you will make in evaluating whether or not J&J's vaccine comes to market? Well, uh, it starts with safety. Vaccines are something you give to healthy people, so they better be safe. So we scrutinize very carefully uh, from the phase one, two, and three clinical trials that the sponsor, in this case, J&J, put forward, uh, the safety data. Uh, you know, there are certain uh, minor, uh, uh, you know, discomfort at the injection site for a day or, or low-grade fever. You know, that's acceptable. There would be certain safety signals that would not be acceptable. So we have to look carefully at the safety data. And then we look at efficacy. How well did the vaccine prevent covid in those who received the vaccine versus placebo. These were blinded studies, very rigorously designed. So we pour over those data and we make that determination. Now, Dr. Levy, there, there's a good uh, part of the American population that's very anxious to get these vaccines. However, there is a group of people out there, not just in the U.S., but around the world, that are skeptical of the vaccine. They are worried about the process that, that, that it's being kind of uh, authorized in, that the, the testing process and everything else what exactly would you say as a medical doctor to those people out there who say, you know, I don't want the vaccine. I don't think I need it. I haven't gotten sick yet. And if everybody else is getting it, do I really need to get it myself? Thank you, Dom. Well, listen, uh, vaccines typically took 10 to 20 years to develop. We didn't have that kind of time. Thankfully, many of these new technologies, including uh, this Johnson & Johnson technology, which is an adenovirus vector, it's using a different virus to deliver the vaccine, but it's not able to replicate. This is a virus that cannot harm you, cannot replicate, but it delivers the spike protein gene so that when you inject this vaccine into your body, it expresses the spike protein, and then your body makes antibodies against that, and that will block coronavirus. Uh, the, the safety process has not been cut in any way. Uh, it's a very rigorous uh, procedure. It's a blinded study, placebo versus vaccine. A lot of safety information is gathered, everything from did the person have a fever or headache or any other type of symptom. It's captured very meticulously, both for the vaccine group and the placebo group. There's a statistical comparison that is then done between the groups to see if there's any safety signal with the vaccine. Um, and that is looked at very carefully, not just by the sponsor, by the company, by the, but by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration administration and by the advisory panel, which is independent uh, of the FDA or the NIH or the company. Uh, there's a lot of due diligence that is done for all the members of the advisory committee. We have no financial conflicts of interest. This is a rigorous process. Sure. All the briefing documents are made publicly available. I think our process compares very favorably with that of other countries with respect to how we evaluate these vaccines. All right. It's a big deal for sure. Of course, a third vaccine candidate could be a game changer for the overall trajectory of vaccinations. Dr. Ofer Levy, thank you very much and good luck to you, sir. Thank you. 
Coming up on the show, the stocks to watch in the day ahead, including what has shares of Square getting hit hard in the pre-market trade. You can see down 5% in extended trading. And farm equipment stocks seeing big gains as more people take up hobby farming amid the pandemic. Jane Wills is, Jane Wells is looking at the trend that's producing big returns for investors. Hobby farming. Can I do it, Jane? They're discovering Green Acres is the place to be. That, when Worldwide Exchange comes back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's check on some of the stocks on the move so far in early trading. We've got Square reporting better than expected fourth quarter results, but shares are falling as the company indicated first quarter numbers are trending only marginally better right now. Square also buying another $170 million in Bitcoin, which is fueling revenue for its popular cash app where users can buy and store that cryptocurrency. Those shares off 4.5% in the pre-market trade. Toll Brothers is reporting higher first quarter profits and sales Low mortgage rates, tight inventories, favorable demographics, and the pandemic all helping to boost demand for home ownership. The company says contracts rose nearly 60 percent, while home deliveries were up 10 percent. Those shares up one and a half percent in the pre-market trade. And then shares of Workhorse continue to drop after falling nearly 50 percent at the end of yesterday's session. That's after the U.S. Postal Service awarded a contract to replace its mail trucks to Oshkosh. Workhorse was the only all-electric offering among the finalists. The stock had run-up after President Biden talked about making the federal vehicle fleet all-electric. Those shares off another 4.5% in the pre-market trade right now. Well, the mass exodus from cities to suburbs and beyond during the pandemic has led to another growing trend among folks working from home in rural areas, and that's hobby farming. And the increased interest in the lifestyle is helping to fuel big gains among farm equipment stocks. Jane Wells is in Harborside, Maine with more. And Jane, Green Acres, like you said, the place to be. Farm living, is it the life for me? Well, listen and learn, Dom Chu. Uh, As Americans have been moving out of the cities into the country to work from home, they have discovered gardening and farming and sales of tractors under 40 horsepower, the fastest growing segment of the industry. Banker Nick Penfield plans to buy one. plant a tree, it's very addictive. Um, you, you start to get the hang of it, and hopefully you get some good fruit from it. There we go. I thought it went the other way. That is the CEO right there of uh, Agco, Eric Hansosia. You know, overall, uh, farm equipment sales uh, under 40 horsepower tractors grew 21% over the last year. Uh, but at Agco, which owns Massey Ferguson, they're up almost 30%, and they've had to really scramble to fix supply chains. I will say that once you plant a tree, it's very addictive. Um, you, you start to get the hang of it, and hopefully you get some good fruit from it. There we go. I thought I went the other way. Well, we wanted you to uh, see that again in case you didn't hear it the first time. So here's what Eric Sodia had to say about reconfiguring supply chains at Agco. We've got factories all around the world supply chain all around the world and we really need to optimize that for this spike up in demand that came and we feel really good about our positioning there too. 
Uh, and Penfield plans to spend $25,000 on a tractor. He started with a John Deere mower right now. But look at look at how the stocks have performed, because not only has there been this tremendous growth, Dom, in these small equipment, these small tractor sales, but now big farmers are seeing peak corn and soybean prices like they haven't seen since 2013. And for people like, for companies like Deere and Agco, they're expecting that that's pent up demand from these bigger farmers to finally go on a spending spree to replace their equipment. Back to you. I mean, it's it's crazy because you look at deer and you look at Caterpillar. We've reported extensively over the last several days about how both of those stocks are sitting at record highs right now. There's a huge assumption that for those companies like Deer and Cat, that it's about the construction equipment and the bullishness there that's driving it. But if it's hobby farming that's doing it, maybe people more getting into farming. How exactly, how hard is it for me to get into hobby farming if I've got to buy equipment that costs twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars at the very low end. Okay, well, you want to start small. Uh, Nick Penfield's um, deer mower is $2,800. But basically, a 40-horsepower under tractor is going to cost you, set you back about $25,000. But if you're going to get into farming, it, it, it's a lot of work. And, uh, you know, you can plant an apple tree for 30 bucks, which he's done. But he says it's not just the $25,000 for the tractors. What implements does he need to have? So it's kind of like buying a car. But right now you can buy these things with zero money down and zero percent interest. Think of it as buying a $25,000 car. I mean, uh, and forget about the land you need to, to, to create crops on that size and scale, I guess, is the other way to put it. I, I don't think I need a $25,000 tractor for my little quarter acre size lot in my backyard, right? <laughs> well, to get the nice mower that you can ride around on. I want a riding mower. I don't think my wife is going to let me do it, though, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Hobby farming. Jane in Harborside, Maine. On deck for the show, downward pressure on stocks, getting some relief as the Fed signals its accommodative policy is here to stay, at least for the medium to long term. Matrix Assets, David Katz, and MetLife's Drew Mattis lay out whether the markets will be able to recapture that momentum. And if you have not already done so, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever podcast app you choose. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the show. Futures pointing to a continued pressure in the markets. This after a wild day in trading yesterday with the Dow seeing and the Nasdaq seeing big swings following Fed Chair Jane Powell's testimony on inflation and the central bank's policy moving forward. For more now, I'm joined by David Katz, chief investment officer at Matrix Asset Advisors. David, what, what was it in the in the context of Jay Powell's testimony that really caught your attention? And was the market justified in coming that far off the lows? Well, we think the testimony was more of the same. Basically, uh, what Powell has said is that inflation is going to be in check and the Fed is going to keep rates low indefinitely. And the market likes that. We think that the market is very momentum driven at the moment. So you started off pretty negative and the news flow wasn't as bad during the day. So you just had a recovery. We would not read too much into any one given day or week with the stock market. The momentum last year is very different than the momentum of the end of the year and into this year right now. We just highlighted earlier in the show just how far the outperformance has been in energy and industrial type stocks versus certain parts of the technology and communication services sector. Is that kind of rotation here to stay? Can we expect to see those economically sensitive value sectors continue to outperform? 
We believe it is. Last year was the most lopsided year between growth and value since 1979. So we don't think that it's going to last and we think it's reversing now. It's actually started to reverse in the fourth quarter and has gained some momentum this year. So in looking at your portfolio, we would try to buy things that have good potential over the next year that are selling at reasonable valuations that did not do as well last year. Financials have started to do very nicely of late. We think that continues. Energy has had a great bounce. We think that that should be okay, but we would not be plowing new money into energy. There are also some groups that have not done as well of late that did not do well last year that we think are going to be the next rotation. Uh, areas like healthcare, utilities, consumer staples are all selling at about 13 or 14 times earnings, uh, paying about a 3 to 4% dividend yield. The market's at 22 times earnings. So we think that's going to be the next rotation. That's where you want to go. All right. So let's bring in Drew Mattis into this conversation. He's the chief market strategist and managing director at MetLife Investment Management. Drew, is the macro environment right now constructive for markets to keep their march higher? Or are we due for some kind of a pullback, given the fact that we have seen conditions perhaps overextend themselves in terms of expectations? Well, I, I do think people are getting a little bold up about the, the outlook. But at the same point, you know, we have to remember one basic fact, which is, you know, things are getting better. Uh, and then secondarily, what, what I always am struck by is when you look back in history and you look back to pictures of the 1920s, uh, no one's wearing a mask. Uh, and that was after the greatest pandemic that the world had, had seen in the modern age. Um, so I do think, you know, this idea of returning to normal is one that people have, have grabbed onto. And, and I think it's probably reasonable to grab onto it. The, the real question is, in my mind, you know, with rates moving higher, uh, you know, how much can be sustained for how long? So with rates moving higher, David, you mentioned some of those sectors that we, we had talked about in the past, financials being one of them. Are interest rates a concern right now? Are they going to put the brakes, slam the brakes, tap the brakes on this on this market rally? Well, for financials, they actually are a significant beneficiary of rates moving higher. And after lagging so much last year, we think there's a big catch up trade there. So that's a place that you are going to start to have business momentum uh, in terms of the other areas or the overall economy, we think with rates as low as they are, even though they moved up 1.3 percent on a 10 year treasury is very, very reasonable. So we don't think that derails the economy and short term rates are at zero. And that's where a lot of the borrowing takes place. So, no, we don't. What are your favorite stock picks, David, going into the new year here? Uh, so we like companies like uh, U.S. Bancorp, uh, Con Ed. Uh, CVS, also very attractive. Merck, Verizon, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is a very interesting reopening play. Uh, pays a very good yield. 50% of their businesses from venues and restaurants. Uh, so we think as the world opens up, that stock probably has the most momentum in the consumer staples. The utilities have been absolutely creamed. Uh, we think that's gotten overdone. Con Ed uh, is at a very attractive valuation. And they also benefit from reopening of New York. All right. Drew Mattis, last word to you here. What's your favorite part of the market right now, and what are you staying away from? Uh, well, you know, I'm not an equity person, so you know, I, when I when I look at things, you know, in the, in my framework, I'm looking at, at private securities. Private securities. Take us through exactly from a macro perspective. What exactly asset class are you talking about here? Well, I think you know, private debt. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not a matter of um, just like just that. So there are certain corporations you like that, you know, do you want to buy what, what they've offered in the market or, or do you want to go talk to them and, and see if, if they've got something they'd rather uh, sell to you directly? And do you feel as though the markets are overextended right now, given the rate environment? Uh, I, 
I, I think it's concerning. That, you know, you have to be very careful. You're being paid for the risk that you're taking, and you have to be very careful that you actually um, consider how much risk you're taking. Uh, and I don't think it's obvious right now how much risk people are taking, uh, and that they're aware of how much risk they're they're potentially taking. All right, David Katz and Drew Mattis, thank you guys both for your market thoughts. We appreciate it. That does Thanks it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is picking up the market coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.